lovely. So I actually want to talk today a little bit about, I guess, what starts in me in terms of the journey over the last sort of 18, 20 months, but also what I believe God's been sort of stirring and speaking to us as a church. But I actually also believe it's bigger than that, and it's about what God is stirring in the church global. So we all have different sort of um, stances which, which we come from, and I think for me, I'm often thinking like, you know, what's God doing in the bigger sort of frame of things? Um, and in Revelation, he talks to some of the churches there, doesn't he? He sends a message through Jesus, through John, yeah, um, and says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And I think we're in a season, or we're always in a season, but particularly there are times where it feels like the Spirit is changing, saying something new, and it's like that same thing. We have to be having our ears open to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So what I hope is some of the things that you'll say, oh yeah, we know that because we've been talking about that. I'm just going to do a little reminder of. And then there are some things that I feel like these are some fresh things that I feel that the Spirit is, is putting um, now for us to be hearing as his church um, for what he wants to do um, in our day. So that's what I'm wanting to do. <laughs> um, so we all know, don't we, because we've heard it so often, that like we've been in this odd season, but it's been a season where we've all probably, um, both people who know Jesus and people who don't, have been reflecting and re-evaluating. Um, some people have found the whole thing really hard and some people have thrived in it. You know, there's just been such difference for everybody, hasn't there? Um, but it, one of the things it has done, I think, is reveal hearts um, and what's in our hearts. Um, and it's, some people's hearts seem to have really opened, don't they? And like you see, like I don't know if you, around your area, but people started really looking out for each other in their neighborhoods, which we hadn't seen for a while because people were behind closed doors. So there were some good things that came out of people's hearts. There's also been some things where people have sort of closed themselves in and become very entitled. And we're hearing about how people are feeling that everybody's a lot more antagonistic. And certainly in the global scene, what we see um, is a polarization of views, don't we? And everybody's getting very much more encamped here and encamped here. And there's lies and there's deceit and there's confusion. And there's like my way, your way, you know. And it, so there's a lot of polarization going on. Um, all of which is not pleasant, is it, when you watch it? Um, but what about us as believers? What's God been showing us as to what's in our hearts? Um, and I think when we kind of were getting into that stage of thinking, well, we're coming back together again, we all have this sense, didn't we? Well, a lot of us did. You know, we, we want to come back to something, but what is it going to look like? We don't want to go back to the same old, same old. And I think that's a message, like people in work, people in the society, but also in the church. There's a sense that we don't want the same old, same old, but what is it that we want? Um, and actually, I think it's been really interesting that we didn't know, but since we've come back together again, God's chosen to show us the right thing in that he's switched that, hasn't he? And it's not about what do we want it to look at, look like, but it's about what does he want his church to look like? What does he want his church to look like? And I think he's quite quickly shown us that that's the question we should be asking, not the other one, which is perhaps going around in our head. It's what does he want his church to look like right now in this season? And if you remember back in, and I was thinking about this, and it was like back in February 2020, that um, the Holy Spirit started highlighting the passage in Revelation 2. I'm not going to read it now, but the one about going back to your first love um, and how like that was something that he was really calling us to um, as a church. Um, and if, if you think about the message of that, that it was like the church um, in Ephesus was doing so many things that were good, so many things that were right, so many things that God was really pleased with. But he said, I have this against you that you've abandoned your first love. And God spoke, started speaking to us, didn't he, about the fact that that's what he wants from us most, most of all. He wants us to be doing the works that we did at first, which, you know, it's those things that come out of our heart of love for him. And it's very easy to 
to fall into a sense of form or a sense of duty or doing things because that's what you do and actually to not be doing them from love anymore. And one of the things I love about that, you know, if you think about when the Spirit speaks to the churches in Revelation, it's to realign, isn't it? Yeah? You know, the Spirit of God, it often realigns us um, and get, helps us get back on track. Why? Because he wants his church to be pure and holy, and we'll come to that in a little bit. So we started off thinking, didn't we, about this thing like, you know, what God wants from us most is that he is our first love and that everything we do is motivated by our love for him and then obviously our love for each other because the two things go together so well, don't they, that we love him um, and therefore we love one another. And it's interesting, isn't it, that that message of first love came to us um, and then what happens, we start to meet back together again and there's this real sense that what we need to be doing is focusing our attention on Jesus, that it's all about Jesus. Um, and it, it, that's logical, isn't it? If we're going to go back to our first love, who's it going to be about? It's going to be about Jesus, isn't it? So it's kind of obvious, but it would have been easy to miss, I think. Um, but but it, it's, it's all about Jesus. It's going to be all about Jesus. Um, I want to just read a couple of passages. I think I did write some of these down. Oh, no, I can't get them here. Um, so it's all about Jesus is what God started to say. And he said, it's, and, and we need to realign and reset to that. That's what our focus is all about. And if you, um, we read, don't we, in Matthew 16, um, verse 16, when Peter has the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, um, Jesus says to him, sorry, no, Simon says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, and that speaks of the revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I think, you know, there's this sense that we just need to come back to the fact that it is Jesus who is the head of the church, that it is Jesus who's the center of it all. And I want to read another passage, which is in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. Um, oh no, verse 15, sorry. Which says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is above all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. By the blood of his cross. So we see that the word of God shows us that Jesus is the head of the church and that in Jesus, he's the one that ha must have the preeminence. And that's been an emphasis, hasn't it, of the Holy Spirit in this time, that let's take, the, it's so easy for the church to take its eyes off that and to start other things to start to take that place. And he, the Spirit has been realigning us to say, no, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who is the head. It's Jesus who is worthy to be honored. It's Jesus who must have the preeminence. And I think that's something that we've, 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 we're catching, isn't it, and that we need to keep catching, that whether it's in our individual lives, who has the preeminence in our individual life, it needs to be Jesus. 
whether it's in our corporate life, who has the preeminence in our corporate life, it needs to be Jesus. Wherever we are, the one that has the preeminence needs to be Jesus. But in this context, it's he is the head of the church. Um, and I don't know for you, but for me, um, one of the things that I often find um, really confirms things that the word is saying to me is that then you start finding yourself singing songs, <laughs> uh, worship songs and worshiping Jesus to songs. And for me, a little few months back, that song Heart of Worship became really important. So I just thought, yeah, this is, this is what it's all about. You know, um, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. And I think God's been bringing us back to that purity of heartfelt worship where Jesus is the one that we see and Jesus is the one that we're worshiping. And then it says, I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within to the way, than the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. We're sorry for the way that we've made it when it's all about you. And I think I want to just encourage us to keep going with that to keep going with that. You know, we can get a revelation of something and we can see that that's a thing, but then it's so easy to drift. And I think we need to keep coming back to that, coming back to that, coming back to that heart of worship, that it's all about Jesus. So I just wanted to encourage you. I know that's not a new thing because the Spirit's been saying that, but I wanted to encourage you that that's really important at the moment, that we, we, we stay in that place where it's all about Jesus. And you know, the great thing about God is that as we make it all about Jesus, that he reveals more of Jesus to us, doesn't he? You know, and, and there's so much more to see in Jesus. I mean, even the whole of eternity, we're still going to be finding and seeing and worshipping Jesus in new ways, which is, just shows you how phenomenal Jesus must be. But even right here, right now, he begins to reveal Jesus to us, doesn't he? As we're hungry to worship him, and as we worship, um, we see more of Jesus. Um, and I, I was reading in um, Matthew, and I'm going to just read this a little bit to you. Um, Matthew chapter 17, and it's the, the um, transfiguration. Um, and I'm just going to read this because, um, yeah, I'm just going to read it because I want to talk about it a bit. So um, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And in the Amplified it says, With whom I have always been, or I am and have always been well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them and said, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And I was just really struck when I was reading this and the Spirit was speaking to me about it, that this is amazing, isn't it? So here's Peter. You can put yourself in his shoes for a minute. So he has seen Jesus heal the sick. He's seen water turn into wine. He's seen Jesus make blind people be able to see lame people be able to walk. He's even seen a little girl raised to life again when she was dead. He's seen Jesus walk on water. He's even had a go at it himself. <laughs> and as if that isn't enough of what he's seen of how amazing Jesus would be, 
The father has revealed to him that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that they've all been waiting for. So so Peter's already had all these amazing revelations and seen who Jesus is and what Jesus is like. And yet here he goes up onto the mountain and he sees Jesus in a way he's never seen him before. Because the, the spirit shows them Jesus in his glory, in his majesty, in his splendor, in the state that he is now, seated at the right hand of the father. Um, and Peter's amazed. And we all would be too, wouldn't we? At gobsmacked, amazed. Um, and probably if that happened to all of us how there would be those of us that would blurt something out because we'd feel we need to do something, to say something, to have something, and others of us would probably just be stunned into silence. Um, but Peter, always being the one that um, will speak something out because he wants to do something. And that's the nice, great thing about Peter. He wants to respond. He's thinking, wow, this is amazing. I've got to do something to mark this, this revelation, this, 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 what I'm seeing of Jesus. And so what does he do? He says, oh, you know, let's build three tabernacles, three tents, um, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Um, and then there's this voice. The cloud comes down, light shadows them, and a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son, my beloved son. Listen to him. And I just think, felt like the Spirit say to me, it's so easy, isn't it, when we experience something new, when Jesus reveals something new of himself or where we've seen him work in, in ways that we, we so easily want to kind of put it in a structure or put it in, in some sort of boundaries or, or even kind of make a monument to it. Even think, wow, this is amazing. This is the thing. And this is the thing I've got to aim for in the future. It's got to be like this. It's got to be like this. And I felt the Spirit say, let's not box in what a revelation of Jesus is going to look like. Let's not put it into our past experience. Let's not put it in to the structures that we're familiar with or the structures that we're comfortable with because it's a new revelation and therefore something new is required. And I felt like the key as to what was required was spoken here. When God speaks, he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And it's a season, isn't it, where the Spirit is saying to us, we need to be listening. We need to be listening to what the Spirit is saying. And we're all being encouraged to, to get that time with God, get that time with the Holy Spirit, and quicken our ears. Learn maybe again, maybe for the first time, maybe deeper. Wherever we're at, God takes us from that one step that we're at to that next step. To, to, to just learn to recognize the Spirit and to listen to what he's saying to us now. Um, and it is going to be about his beloved son. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You know, the Spirit of God will always direct us to Jesus, to worship Jesus, to listen to what he's saying and to do that. So let's be careful as we get these new revelations that we're, that we're not making monuments to them, <laughs> um, but that we're, we're, we don't want to glorify the, the, the place or the, 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 the um, yeah, don't make a monument to the thing that's being sheen, but rather we need to glorify the one that's revealed. Um, yeah, don't glorify the details of when, where, or how the revelation came and make a monument of them, but glorify the one that was revealed. And what's amazing is that um, Peter actually got, got, got hold of it because we read in 2 Peter 1.16 when he's speaking um, there to the church that he's writing to, he says, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice from heaven, and we were with him when we were with him on the holy mountain. And I love that fact that Peter says we were eyewitnesses. You see, Jesus is revealed to us. Yes, so that we can honor him. Yes, so that we can glorify him. Yes, so that we can listen to him. But also so that we can be eyewitnesses. 
We can be eyewitnesses, just like the first apostles were. We can be eyewitnesses to the people around us and who Jesus is. So the revelation is, yes, to honor him, but also to enable us to be witnesses for him. So we need that revelation of who Jesus is. And of course, when revelation of who Jesus is comes, I don't know your experience, but I find it usually exposes my heart. Usually shows me some things that I perhaps didn't realize were there or that he just wants to tweak a little bit. So revelation will reveal what's in our hearts often, won't it? And I don't know about you, but again, looking back through this year and a half time, another phase where I felt the spirit was taking me was that I found myself, and I think many of us did, thinking, God, we need a fresh move of your spirit. God, the church needs a fresh move of the spirit. And at the time, there was a song um, called We Need a Fresh Wind, the fragrance of heaven. We need the power of your presence. And those lyrics were lyrics I kept singing. And yeah, yeah, we need that, God. God, we need a fresh wind of your spirit. Um, but I th- one of the things I've sensed is that it's true, and we do, and we're all hungry and longing for that. But it might not look like what it's looked like before. And it might not look like what we're expecting it to look like. And it might not look like what we want it to look like. But we need to have our hearts opened, the eyes of our hearts opened, and we need to embrace what the Spirit of God is doing. You know, I'm always amazed that, you remember Simeon um, in the New Testament when Jesus was brought to the temple to be circumcised for eight days? Simeon was a, a guy that had been in the temple for years and years, and God had spoken to him and said that he wouldn't die before he'd seen the, the Messiah, the Christ. Um, and I'm thinking, man, he must have walked so close with the Spirit, because here he is on this one day, here's this eight old baby when the nearest we've got to that is Jed but he's a lot older than eight days now so he's big but can you imagine an eight day old baby and yet Simeon is so in tune with the spirit that he knows that's the Messiah and so he can say God now you have fulfilled your promise now let your servant depart in peace and of course he prophesies over Jesus as well but we need to have that awareness don't we what you know if Simeon could recognize that a baby was the Messiah (laughs) when so many people who thought they knew what they were looking for missed it. We need to be careful. We need to be listening to the Spirit so we can recognize what is the Spirit. What is the Spirit of God doing now? Where is the Spirit moving? And, and just know where that is and, and what, it, what it looks like. Um, so it might not look like what we've expected. And I think one of the things that I sense about this is that, um, and this is something that I kind of want to dwell on a little bit because I think this is the thing that the Spirit wants to say um, to us today. And I started a, li- a little bit last week. Um, but I think at the minute, the, the, the Holy Spirit is calling us to a fresh level of consecration and a fresh level of yieldedness and a fresh level of surrender and a fresh level of purity and a fresh level of holiness. It's been coming out, hasn't it, in our worship, less of me, more of you. Um, there's the verse that John speaks about, I must decrease and he must increase. I always think about that verse about I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. You know, it's not me and myself. It's not I, not myself anymore. It's Jesus in me. Um, And I think consecration, if you think about it, is a theme that's throughout Scripture. But the thing about it is that it's always something that precedes God doing something amazing. Yeah? He always calls the consecration of his people before God does something. And the classic one, of course, is Joshua. Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. The verse says, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And of course, that's talking there about where the Israelites had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They'd finally got to that place where Joshua was going to lead them over the Jordan and into the promised land. But the first thing that God needs of his people is that they're consecrated. 
So what does that mean? You might think, oh, what's that word? Don't know what that word means. So um, being well-schooled in the, in the um, art of teaching, I'm going to tell you what consecration means. <laughs> um, and there are several different aspects to it. Um, and, and I'm just going to talk a little bit about those. And I've got some bits in my journal, so rather than write them out twice, I've left them in there. Um, so, of course, one of the things that consecration brings about means is the whole thing about being sanctified. And there are some verses around sanctification. John 17, 17, Jesus prays to his Father, um, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And he says, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they might be sanctified in truth. So Jesus begins this work of sanctification in us, doesn't he, when we're born again. But it is something that is an ongoing process of being made more and more like Jesus. And then in Ephesians 5, 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's not the bit I'm focusing on. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. You know, and that's God's heart for being sanctified and for his church, each of us as individual members of the church, but also for the church itself, <laughs> the bride of Christ, um, needs to be pure and spotless, needs to be holy. Um, and that's the work that the Spirit does in us. He sanctifies us. He makes us more and more like Jesus as we let go and allow him to work in us. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but I want to be in that place where I'm constantly allowing the Spirit of God to keep working through me, to keep sanctifying me. Um, talk about something to do with that in a minute, but yeah. Then pre pre prepare. The idea of consecration also carries with it the sense of the fact that we need to be prepared um, I could, could go on about scouts being prepared. That was their motto, wasn't it? But we need to be prepared. And if, if we're ever going to do anything in life, we normally prepare. And some of us over-prepare. <laughs> some of us maybe under-prepare. But we need to prepare for anything that we want to do and that we want to su see succeed, don't we? So this idea about being consecrated to God means we need to be prepared. And I think one of the key things that's coming out with this, isn't it, is that we can only prepare um, for what God wants to do and how God wants to change us if we spend time with him. So that's the key thing, I think, in our preparedness. Um, watching, waiting, listening, obeying those promptings of the Spirit, um, yielding to him and doing, doing what he's asking us to do. Knowing the word. We need to get grounded and keep being grounded and keep reading the word and keep getting that fresh revelation from the word of God. Because all of those things will prepare us so that when God moves, we recognize, oh, yeah, that's got the hallmark of God about it. Or, mm, that hasn't. Yeah? Because we know that in the last days, there will be things that are counterfeits. There will be things that, that says will lead even the elect astray if, he could, if it could. So we have to be aware of, of all of it. We need to know Jesus. We need to know the Spirit. And we need to know the Word so that we're ready, so that we're prepared. But also so that we're prepared so God can work through us and use through us in this day and what he wants to do, those wonders that he wants to do. Not that we're going to do, that he wants to do. He might use us as empty vessels, but it's what he is going to do, not what we do. And then, of course, consecration carries with it the idea about being dedicated. I could get Roger to do a little bit of um, Roy Castle and sing, da -da -da -da, dedication, but I won't. <laughs> I did it myself instead. Um, but dedication... Um, 
kind of implies, doesn't it, that it's a, your whole strength of purpose, all of your energy. Um, we, you, you read, don't you, sometimes when people have died, so-and-so dedicated their lives to cats or dedicated their lives to children or dedicated their lives to science and the advance of medicine or whatever. You know, people dedicate their lives to all sorts of things, don't they? And I, when I, I wrote in my book here, God, can people say of me, she dedicated her life to Jesus? Probably not right now, if I'm honest, but I want it to be something that I worked, that I aspire to, that I allow the Spirit of God to keep working in me, so that actually when people look at me, they do know that actually my sole purpose, my one ambition is to make Jesus known, to know him, to be known by him, and to make him known. I want to dedicate my life to Jesus. It's an ongoing work, like we've been saying this morning. We're not, we haven't achieved. Like Paul, we can say, I press on towards the goal. I don't look at what's behind, I press on towards the goal, the upward calling. Um, and that's the journey that we're all on. And it doesn't matter if you're on your first step or your 91st step. What Jesus is looking for is our hearts to be responding to him. And he'll meet us where we're at and come and support, help us and give his spirit to enable us to achieve um, those things that he wants to, to, to do in our lives. And then, of course, consecration carries this fact about being holy. Um, and 1 Peter 41, sorry, 1 Peter 1, Verse 14, can you read that? Um, it says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your, former of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You know, so there's a, there's a calling for us isn't there, to be holy. And it's very easy for us to absorb the culture around us, to be acceptable around us, and to think it's acceptable. And we constantly have to be bringing things in line with the word of God and the spirit working in us to say, God, is this attitude in me one that's in your, of your kingdom value, or is it not? Have I absorbed something from the world? Is this action that I take right in your eyes, or is it just that I think it's right because that's what everyone else is doing? Um, and it's so easy, isn't it, for the attitudes, the beliefs, the behaviors of the world to start to influence us so that we get cold to what it is that God's standards are. And we need to be constantly, again, allowing the spirit to realign us and to, to change us. Um, and I think the picture for me here is this whole thing about a refiner's fire. Um, so, you know, it talks a lot, doesn't it, in the Bible um, about gold being refined. Um, and it's refined in a fire. Um, and why is it? Why does he? Why is that the imagery? It's because when the fire is hot, then the impurities or the dross, the rubbish that's in the gold, the bits that make it unpure, impure, get exposed and can be got rid of. So then, then the quality of the gold is better. Yeah. So that refiner. So whether it's refined, however many times, will tell tell you how many carats your gold is. Yeah. And it's that's very much I feel. I don't know about you, but I feel that's very much the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. You know, I started off was pretty impure gold. Yes, I was washed, I was cleansed, I was made new in Jesus when I was born again. But there's that purifying work, that refining work that has to go on and will go on until I see him face to face in glory. Um, but he's changing that. And it often isn't it that it's in the fire that that refining takes place. It's not a coincidence, is it? And sometimes we don't like it when the heat gets turned up or when things aren't comfortable or when challenging circumstances arise. 
when COVID hits, when we can't do what we want to do. All sorts of different things. And of course, they're not easy. And of course, it's not pleasant. But I think that if we have the right heart attitude, then the Spirit of God can really turn those things and work in those things and start to pour out our dross and up the quality of the gold in us. Yeah? And isn't that what we want from any and every circumstance? You know, it says, doesn't it, that God will work all things together for our good. Yeah? He works all things together for our good. So even the most trying, difficult things. And wasn't that a lovely testimony? Oh, she's out there now. Wasn't that a lovely testimony from Kirsty of how God was doing just that with her? It wasn't easy. It was hard. She was in a difficult place. But he stepped in and started to do something, creating that gold in her and getting rid of stuff that wasn't helpful to her. Um, and we all will have stories of where Jesus has been doing that in our lives as well, won't we? Um, so it, it's great. But we, so we do need to be made holy. Um, and I feel like there is this sense as well, like um, that might get a bit uncomfortable. Maybe some of you already find it is where you work, where you live um, in your school. Maybe it already is, but I think it possibly will only get worse, won't it? As the dark gets darker and the light gets lighter, there has to be a separation between what is holy and what is unholy. Um, and maybe in order to walk the, the, in holiness, we look so different to how the world looks that the world doesn't like it. A bit like they didn't like Jesus. And, maybe, and they didn't like the disciples. And maybe, and it happens in parts of the world already, doesn't it? Maybe you're told you can't do that. And we have to make a decision. Well, actually, I need to do that. Like Daniel, the king says, don't pray. Daniel says, sorry, I have to pray to God. That's of a greater calling on my life than obeying my king. Although obeying my king, I will do when it doesn't counter God's way. But if there's a call against whether it's what God is saying or what the world is saying, we have to go for God no matter what the cost. And for Daniel, all sorts of things happened to him. Some great things. Sometimes he got thrown in with lions. But God was always with him, whether it was he was the king's right-hand man or whether he was in that pit of lions. God was always with him. So being holy, allowing that refining work um, to happen in our lives. And of course, that then has this idea about being set apart as well. You know, if we're to be consecrated to God, it means we're set apart for him. Um, and of course, what's great about that is that if we're set apart for him, we know that there's a, um, his, his presence, his peace, his protection, all of the great things that come with being set apart for God, a people set apart for God, his favor towards us, his, his, his hope in our hearts. You know, there's so many wonderful things, aren't there, that come with being set apart to him. But like I say, it also means we, we need to look different. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that's who we are. So I think that the, um, like I said, the, the, the sense of what the Spirit is doing is about um, us being consecrated. Um, and, and those are some of the things that that might mean. Sorry, I didn't mean to hit that. Um, surrender, resurrender, yielding, wholehearted. I found recently um, a poem, I won't read it to you because it's in really old English, <laughs> but a poem that meant a lot to me, probably when I was about 17 or 18, it was at the beginning of a book by a guy called Andrew Murray, called, the book was called Waiting on God. Talk about first love. You know, I was challenged by, goodness me, when I was a teenager, wow, 
I used to just devote so, you know, and I was so hungry for the things of God. But this poem basically says that about how if we want to be really used by God and allow God to use us in our lives, it's about us letting go and letting him get rid of all the stuff of us that gets in the way. And about, it's almost like this thing about being an empty vessel, that if we want God to use us, then we have to empty ourselves of all that is self, all that is self-effort, all that's self-reliance, all that um, our flesh tries to do instead of our spirits doing. We have to empty ourselves of all of these things that so get in the way so that the Spirit of God can then work through us. Um, so yieldedness, surrender, it's a constant thing, isn't it? Um, and I don't, I don't, again, this is where, you know, for me, I think, oh, yeah, this is something the Spirit's picking up. You're picking up. There's a song I've come across recently um, from Hillsong called Resurrender. And I, for me, I was listening to the words of it again this morning. Yeah, that absolutely captures it, about how, like, we just need to keep resurrendering our lives before God um, because we are his. And, and we, you know, as the church, as individuals, we're his, our bodies are his temple, and we need to keep resurrendering and making sure that we're in that right place with him. And then, of course, you can't do any of this half-heartedly, can you? It has to be our whole heart. And the Bible, all, I know when I've read through the kings in the past, like the difference between the kings that either they were completely wicked and completely turned their back on God, or there were some that were completely wholehearted in their following of God. But there were some, and Amaziah is an example of this, where it says that he followed the Lord, but not with a whole heart. I think, ooh, that's a painful one, isn't it? Because we understand the black and the white, but what about that bit in the middle? <laughs> following God, but not wholeheartedly. And there's a challenge there for us, isn't it, that I think what God is calling us to right now is wholehearted devotion, not part-hearted devotion, wholehearted devotion. And of course, that will look different for all of us. It will look different for all of us, but God is the one who knows our hearts, and it's for us to present our hearts before him and say, God, I want to follow you wholeheartedly. Show me what that looks like. Show me what that looks like for me. And then don't compare yourself to your neighbor because that will mess with your head. <laughs> Follow after what God is saying to you. But be wholehearted. Be wholehearted in what you follow and what you do. I want to finish. Well, I'm, we're going to pray together in a minute because that's the most important bit. But I do just want to finish um, in another one of the letters um, in Revelation. Um, chapter 3 and verse 14 and this is written to the church or the leader of the church something like that, angel of the Lord the church in Laodicea writes um, I know your works, you're neither cold nor hot would that you were either cold or hot so because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repentant. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And it goes on to talk about being those that being conquered, but I'm going to just stop there. And I think we all know, don't we, that it's, it's so easy to rely on self-effort, self-righteousness. We kind of know we don't, but we kind of end up being there without really wanting to be. 
And I think that the Spirit is again saying to us, and this is what's been going on in church, isn't it? That we're not going to be reliant on what we feel we can do, but we're going to be reliant on what the Spirit is telling us to do. He realigns us. You know, I think that the um, purchase for me gold you find in the fire. It has to be what he forms in us, what he does through us, and his garments of righteousness. We have to see with his eyes um, what he sees. And he comes to realign us. Why? Because he wants to fellowship with us. He wants to eat with us and for us to eat with him. But I think sometimes we can not like it if things are a bit, you know. But, but it's a good thing, you know. Got the Bible tells us that Jesus disciplines us for our good. It's because he wants to get closer to us, doesn't he? Like as parents, you don't want your children to go off down the wrong way. So if they start to, you kind of realign them a bit because you know that it's for their good. Because if they go that path, they're going to end up in a bad place and it's not going to be healthy for them. Same with Jesus. He sometimes needs to realign his church because it's got off kilter. It's got off piece of where he wants it to be. Um, and that's not going to be good for it. It's not going to be good for it. And it's not going to be good for the fruit that he wants to form. And it's not going to be good for those outside of the kingdom because we need to see them come in, don't we? Revelation 19.7 says, The marriage of the Lamb at last has come and his bride has made herself ready. And I got a little bit stuck on this some months ago about this thing about the bride making herself ready. So the bride is a picture of the church, isn't it? And we need to be making ourselves ready. And I, what really struck me about this was it's no good if I, as one little part of the body of Christ, do that. It's not even enough if we, as a part of the body of Christ, do that. But Jesus is looking for his church global to be doing this. And I think that's what, I'm, that's what we need to be praying into. That's what we need to be seeing. That the Spirit of the Lord does in his church the work that he needs to do to get rid of all the stuff that's dross, all the stuff that needs to be got out of it, to get rid of it where it's got off, off piste from where it, where it should be, where it's got off track. And just as the spirit of Jesus spoke via the prophet John, um, by his, via John to the churches and said, this is what you need to do to stay on track. We need to be hearing what the spirit of God is saying to the church right now and to each individual member of it so that we're on track. Why? Because he wants to do some great wonders. There are people out there who need Jesus. There are people out there who are so messed up, so messed up, and only Jesus can bring that answer. Yeah, and we've got some great examples of that in the church today. Only Jesus. Now, we don't have it. I don't have the power to do that. None of us have the power to do that, but Jesus does. And that's what we want to be able to do. We, don't, we want to be ready and in that place where we can say, Jesus, what do you want to do? Jesus, you touch that person's heart. Jesus, you break into them. Jesus, you set them free by your spirit, because where your spirit is, there is freedom. So it's all about Jesus. So what I want us to do, Phil, Phil, I've asked Phil if he'll come and play because I did feel like there'll be something different that each of us will hopefully have taken from this and allow the Spirit of God just to speak. But there are several bits, and I think just focus on the bit that you feel the Spirit of God is, is saying to you right now. Um, it's all about Jesus. It's about having him as your first love and that he alone gets the glory in his church and in our lives as individuals. Don't get stuck in monuments to the past, but be aware of what he's wanting to do in this day, in this time. Consecration. 
He wants us to be a people that are consecrated to him because he wants to do something amazing. And the salvation of many, the signs and wonders following the preaching of the gospel. So we need to be consecrated. And if there are things there that have been sanctified, made holy, set apart, refined, allow the Spirit to work in you in those things. Maybe the Spirit is saying to you, you haven't surrendered that many of your life to me. You're only giving me a part of your heart, and I want it all. We're just going to spend some time in his presence just to let him speak those things. Let him show us those things. Or maybe he's showing you that you've done things in your own strength instead of allowing his spirit to work through you. And he just says simply to us, repent. It just means turn around from being like that and change to be how I want you to be. your life surrendered before me, set apart for his glory. So as Phil plays, just allow yourself, if you feel like you want to stand, stand. If you feel like you want to kneel, kneel. If you feel like you want to stay in your chair, that's fine. This is a time to just allow the Spirit to speak to your heart what he wants to show you as a part of this bride that needs to make herself ready for the return of the King. Father, we just want to say thank you that you love us with such a great love that you gave Jesus to be all that we could never be, to provide for us salvation, 
to give us a clean heart, to remove our heart um, of stone and put in it a heart of flesh, to write your laws on our, our spirit, on our hearts. Thank you that you've done it all. And what you say to us is, will you say yes to me? Will you surrender to me? Will you consecrate your life to me and allow me to work through you for the glory of Jesus? Lord, I know I for one want to say yes to you, Jesus. And if that's your heart, then you say yes to Jesus right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take our heart's desire and you, like we've been saying, your spirit can give us more of that hunger, more of that desire for you. As we take that one step towards you, you draw close to us and you give us by your spirit the enabling to walk out that road which you call us to walk. So Holy Spirit, I'm asking that your anointing and your presence will be on each of my brothers and sisters in this place as they respond to you and walk with you this week and in the weeks coming. And that, Lord, as a representation, as a part of your body of the church, we would say, Lord Jesus, we want to be a bride that is making herself ready for the coming of the King. We want to be empty vessels that you can pour through, that you can use for your glory, for your honor. We don't want anything to get in the way that will taint that or not allow you to work those wonders you want to work because we're not in that right place. We want to be in that right place of being ready, being ready, being ready. There's a time in Israel's history when Hezekiah was king and was returning the people to worship where it says that the priests, there weren't enough of them consecrated to, to do all the sacrifices that needed to be done. And so they called in their brothers, the Levites, because they had been more diligent in keeping themselves consecrated. Lord, we don't want to be found wanting. We don't want to be found not ready. We want to be ready for what you want to do. We want to be ready for what you're saying in this time. We want to be ready for you to work through us. We want to be ready that Jesus is honored and glorified and magnified so that the church can be pure and spotless, ready for that return of the